Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Okay, you hear the music, you know the show. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix and living like it matters. I tell you what matters to me is, uh, and I guess this is kind of hard for me to actually deal with this, but I have to address it. Uh, what matters to me is obviously what mattered to a lot of people this past weekend, as you all know. Young man in Kansas City, obviously, uh, life got the better part of him and I believe made an irrational decision, obviously, one that cost him his life and, and, and certainly a, a person that was very near and dear to him as well, cost the child their mother and their father. And so what I always like to do is whenever I have a show and a member of the fraternity of football has been lost is, is I always like to have a moment of silence. Uh, this moment of silence I'm going to have today is not only going to just be for the young man, but also for the young lady whose life he took with him. Um... And I'm just going to ask that you share this moment of silence with me to start off the show, because this is what matters to me. Okay, that was a brief moment, but certainly a moment that I would not let pass by without bringing some attention to it. It's, it's, it remains to be a part of a conversation with a lot of people. Uh, there are people that you can have conversations with. Some people understand and many people don't understand. There's been here in my own office. Some people, you know, have approached me and said something to the effect that, you know, they're going to blame this on concussions. And, and, and let me just say this as it relates to concussions. It's very serious. It's not the blame game. It is something that is extremely serious, something that everybody who is associated or affiliated or knows a friend or a loved one, if they're participating in any form of contact sports, you should take it very serious. There is technology now has involved, whereas we can have a more precise understanding of you know, what some of the symptoms are, what the signs to look for, the damage that has actually happened to people. A lot of times it's the deferred, um, you know, results of a concussion that we don't we're not aware of. And, and we don't know this happened three, three days ago, three years ago, 20 years ago. But it's, it's no doubt about it. Something that's extremely serious and not something that uh, we should be concerned about who's being compensated for what or who's being blamed for what is a serious medical uh, issue that needs to be addressed from a medical profession and nothing to be taken, uh, you know, in such a way, whereas it's just uh, a, a matter of a conversation where people are concerned about somebody seeking to get compensation uh, because they have a concussion. It's much more serious than that. And when you find out 
uh, because it hits home, uh, you'll find out how serious it is. But one thing that I want to do is, uh, of course, since we're talking about football, uh, it's that time of year. There are some people in the National Football League, believe it or not, and the season is nowhere near ended. But for some people, it's all over. I mean, there are some people who uh, they may have their mind on Christmas already. And I hate to say this, but this is some players that are playing in the game. Uh, but for some people, there is not a chance in hell <laughs> that uh, they're going to make it or their team's going to make it to the playoffs and certainly not to the Super Bowl. But I tell you, one person that is certainly going to make it to the Super Bowl, been making it to the Super Bowl for decades and been doing a tremendous job as it is it relates to uh, helping players in their transition from the game of football into life without football as they know it uh, in their daily lives. And, and it's been a tremendous asset to me. And there are some guys that are playing now who probably will find themselves at the Player Networking event. And uh, we'll try to provide as much insight and perspective to them about life after football. Uh, but the person who does a tremendous job of doing that and putting on an excellent event is Guy Troop himself from Troop 21. Uh, Mr. Troop, how are you, Guy? I'm doing great, Ray. It's a pleasure to be on the show today. Well, Guy, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. Uh, in, in a couple minutes, we're going to be joined by uh, another good friend of mine, uh, John St. New. Uh, John is the CEO from ICL Reebok Team, and he's going to join us in a few. But, but Guy, I know this weekend um, you and I you know, spoke briefly I know you do so many things for so many players. You provide, a, you know, a supportive, um, uh, uh, an opportunity for them to provide, get supportive services uh, in transition. And then sometimes there's some difficult times where players just, you know, life gets the best of players many times. And because they're looked upon to be such strong men and role models to everybody else, sometimes when they need help, they don't know how to turn to people who can actually help them. So, uh, this weekend, when when you when you got a call, um, how did that how that how did you feel initially when you got that call in terms of wow here's another player that perhaps maybe if he'd reached out to to some of the services supportive services that was there maybe things could have been a little different did did you feel any of that when you initially got the call guy? Well, right, my initial uh, thought thoughts revolved around the victim. And that is uh, his girlfriend, the, the ch- uh, mother of his child, uh, and, and for, for a couple of reasons. One, I have a daughter that's 25 years old, and, and so I just wondered how a parent would feel uh, when uh, an apparent loved one took uh, took the life of your child. So my, my initial thoughts really, really were focused much more on the, the victim that was murdered and the child that is left now uh, without two parents, and I'm sure the grandmother is going to do a phenomenal job of raising the child, but there will come a time where uh, the child will, will be become aware of the tragedy. And uh, that, that bothers me much more than the debate about the resources for this player and the decisions that the player made or did not make. And and I'm an advocate and I work in the space and have worked with athletes for years, but I don't want to trivialize the actions of of the uh the player in this case. 
Uh, and so before I could even get to the services that were available and what might have been going on in this young man's mind, uh, my initial thoughts were were really uh, overwhelmed with sadness for for the victims. Well, you know, God, that's really interesting because uh, for you to lay it out like that, I mean, it, it, it certainly brings light on a situation of which a person like you who would be called in perhaps maybe whether it be on the phone uh, to consult with some other people who perhaps maybe may be the first ones there to deal with the situation or perhaps maybe if somebody would, would actually ask you to come out to participate to, to help the team and, and the staff uh, and the administration kind of get through this because sometimes there is not a, a moment's chance for a person to even you know, take the time out to think about the things that you just mentioned because they're they're calling upon them to do something else, and that is right. to, to move this situation to the next level. It kind of reminds me so much, and I, you know, I'm I, I'm torn about this because to me it just shows you, you know, I guess the dark side of sports because the game had to go on, you know, life had to go on. For some people, and they might have wanted to stop to think about some of those things you you talked about, but you know you got to step in right now because we got a crisis and you got to help us deal with this crisis. So you know, like like Coach Cromwell, you know he, he might have wanted to do that, but but then he had a crisis because all these players were about to come in, and he was going to have to deal with them and get them ready for a game the next day. Wow, how how do you? How do you do that? I'm not trained to do that, guy. Can you give us some insight, some perspective of how does a person make that happen? Even the football players that had to go sit in a team meeting and, and get ready. I, I never experienced that. I don't know if I could do that, but I guess it's done every day in the National Football League. Well, Ray, I mean, candidly, it's done every day across many industries. Uh, our military personnel men and women that have committed their lives to service oftentimes in the midst of war have to keep keep fighting and watch a friend, uh, a colleague uh, lie in blood. And so, and, and, and I, you know, you could go across other risky employment environments and say that, you know, the business always goes on. I think when I think about the National Football League and uh, what the mindset might have been of a player and a coach, um, I think the freedom that the organization would provide to a person to play or not play is the most important variable here. So uh, if Saturday night I I witnessed it or Saturday I, I, I witnessed it, and I laid in my bed that night, and I woke up, and I couldn't go to work the next day, that should be perfectly fine. It's a sick day, and it's a different kind of sickness, but we all have the right not to show up to work because of the things that happen. Sometimes there's a consequence for it, and, and really, if we're talking about placing blame in any one area, uh, I don't think, you know, I think the business of sport has to keep going. I, I, I thought that, you know, I think that in many, in many instances, sports provides the healing. So 
So you, you could argue on both sides, but I think if the players were not given the opportunity, if Romeo Cornell was not given the opportunity by his boss, uh, Scott Pioli, if Scott Pioli wasn't given the opportunity not to work the next day by the Hunt family, then that would be the biggest tragedy. But most, and I'm, I don't know the facts around that, but as, in, as an individual, we're all going to mourn differently. We're all going to deal with tragedy and violence and, and, and even the, the violation of maybe the friendship that somebody had with that player, the feeling that maybe I could have done something more, I could have seen the warning signs. We're all going to deal with that differently. So the, the, the thing that, that most, that, that's most uh, influential in my mind right now is were they given the right? And right now are there trained professionals available for everyone that could have touched that or that could have touched that tragedy? I was actually on a call this morning with another professional sports league. And the question was posed to me if I were in a position of responsibility at the National Football League, what would I have done? And so my response was was was, was simple: that I, I would send four counselors in, in in various directions. So that team and that coaching staff they need a therapist, they need a professional, and they need multiple professionals available to them. The victim's mother and that family, they need a resource, a professionally trained person that can deal with the situation at hand. Hey, guy, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to take a break, but I want to come back to that because you said they need a resource. And that's, as I said at the opening, that's what you've been for us many times as former players and current players. You've been a tremendous resource. And I just want those people out there that are listening to know that, in fact, the NFL, the NBA, the Hockey League, all these leagues are trying to provide as many resources as they possibly can. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix living like it matters. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with our good friend Guy Troop from Troop 21. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the 3 is very much the one to be. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to Win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins, next week I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. 
may not know all their names, but you certainly know what they did. They helped make this game into what it is today. Now we can do more to help them. The NFL Alumni Association is proud to assist our retired players to help make their lives better today and tomorrow. To learn more, please visit NFLalumni.org. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Okay, we're back. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. It matters to me that I got my good friend Guy Troop on the line with us from Troop 21 and that we are soon going to get to John St. New, uh, who is the CEO of ICL Reebok team out there. Uh, John, of course, is in California. But, Guy, just before we went to break, uh, you identified the fact that there were four groups of folks of which uh, are related to this incident uh, that you would address, uh, and uh, that was based upon a conversation you were sharing some information with with a colleague that called you from the NBA. Why don't you finish that uh, part of your of your comments, if you will? Yeah, I said another professional sports league, uh, not necessarily the NBA, right? But uh, well, I apologize for that. <laughs> I don't want to put it out there like the, that. Yeah, uh, the uh, the four groups I was referring to were really the players themselves and coaches they they need trained professionals uh grief counselors uh and and other professionals that can really deal with the varying levels of support needed the the victim's family of course the mom and the immediate family and friends they they need to to process things uh the anger really associated with with the, the murder and and so that group that family needs some some support uh the player himself his family uh and and all that they feel also need a separate level of engagement and support that that's diff, that's really separate and apart from what uh the victim's family would have and then the, the there's two people at the team that I think really need their own sort of one-on-one relationship. And it's the player development director who works with various professionals uh, through an EAP network, employee assistance program, a network of professionals already. But that person is going to be challenged with this uh, for a long period of time, dealing with the 53-man roster and the, and the level, the, the, the eyeballs that are needed to monitor how guys are handling this uh he's going to need to he or she is going to need to be educated uh about the warning signs and the kinds of things that that send people into downward spirals of depression um and then i think the pr staff uh both at the national football league and and the, the chiefs would really need to sit down with uh clinical psychologists uh, psychiatrists, social workers to understand murder suicide is uh, as much data as there is out there about it, so that the organizations, the respective organizations, can really make an informed statement 
about the tragedy and the impact on its business and its sport. Uh, Guy, you know, it's, it's interesting that you talk about that because from the way you laid that out, it's obviously this is an extended uh, family, if you will, uh, that has to be, you know, counseled. And I think many times people just look at it as if what happens in football, it just happens and affects those people that are there. I mean, there uh, another situation happened in, in Cleveland, whereas there was an employee who was not a football player, uh, I believe, took his life. And, and that is something that extended beyond just, you know, himself. And now it affected the, the football team. Are these services that you suggested should be provided, are these kinds of services provided to uh, all members uh, of the organization? Or, or is it something where it just would affect the team? Because obviously in Cleveland, I'm thinking that there's some guys there that need to have some consultation after walking into an area in a space where this gentleman took his life. Yeah, well, without a doubt, Ray, uh, I, the, if the the gentleman you're speaking about was a groundskeeper um, and he allegedly took his life, it was reported uh, the next day in the paper the same way that the other, uh, that the athlete with the Chiefs chief, uh, was reported. But the, the interesting thing for me with regard to that is that the resources are the same. The, the Cleveland Browns have a similar structure as the Kansas City Chiefs, and the, and the National Football League has, has, has it set up where those employees at the team level can access it. The, the, int- the most interesting thing about this for me is the blessing and the curse of, of, of celebrity as, a, as an NFL player or, or an athlete a high-profile athlete, and that the attention that is brought to this murder-suicide uh, is it's much more impactful than the attention brought to the suicide of a groundskeeper. Now, both dealing with a similar challenge of deciding to kill them, themselves, and I'm not dealing with the murder aspect, but let's talk about suicide. So you're talking about Junior Seau, you're talking about uh, Belcher, or you're talking about the groundskeeper, three men took their lives. All of them are equally important, but the world doesn't even know about the groundskeeper. Exactly. And and the family of the groundskeeper and all of those people we're talking about, they're mourning and going through the same thing. So I, I, I consider that the black, you know, this, what happened can can work in our favor, those of us who live, to see the next day because we can be educated more about rage, murder, suicide, et cetera. Uh, but it's sad that the groundskeeper could not have the same impact on the masses in my mind. Yeah, it's certainly to me when I when I take a look at a guy, I, I think what it does is it, it, it just brings a human perspective about life in that, you know, people, regardless if you're an athlete or if you're not an athlete, there are just times where life just seems to be overwhelming for some people and, and they just don't know how to, to reach out. And uh, I, I certainly hope that whoever uh, or whatever is available in terms of trying to help that family in Cleveland, Ohio, with the groundskeeper to heal and to, to move on if they can to, to the best way, uh, best of their abilities to do that. I certainly hope and pray for the family of the young lady. Uh, who, of course, uh, they've lost a sister, they've lost a, a daughter, and, and the child has lost a mother. So I hope and pray for them all, as well as, of course, our fraternity brother of the National Football League, Brother Belcher, who 
for whatever reason, uh, decided that, you know, he just made that decision that he could no longer uh, live here on this earth. So I pray for them all. Uh, I also want to send a special prayer out for somebody that was involved. I think the linebacker coach was uh, uh, Coach Gibbs, and uh, his father, Alex Gibbs, actually was uh, the person that recruited me uh, out of high school in, in Canton, Ohio, and he was a coach. He was our uh, offensive line coach at Ohio State University. So, uh, boy, th- these pinnacles just reach out and they touch a lot of people. And, and I just hope there's a message out there now that the National Football League has as it relates to domestic violence. And I told you this is the domestic violence, you know, at, at the nth. I mean, this is as, as, as worse as it can possibly get. I just look at murder as being something separate, but it, it, again, I'm sure it'll fall under the category of domestic violence, and it's something that we need to pay attention to. Guy, we were just down in in Florida, uh, of course, with with Thomas Jones, and that that question was brought into the in, into the uh, filming process, and and we addressed that. And as I said, you know. One incident of domestic violence is, is far too many, and uh, I believe you're aware that's something that the NFL and, and, and all professional teams are focused on, too, the reduction of domestic violence from its personnel, being its players or its staff members. Yeah, without a doubt, Ray. And, I mean, here, here's, the, here's the phenomenon that I think we all should be aware of. Uh, Peyton Manning's thrown millions of balls that made him an expert at throwing balls, and and so the 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 batterer, the guy or the the girl that decides to batter someone, they got repetitions at battering. It's and so they've either seen it or been the victim of it before. Typically, they perpetrate such such an act. So uh, a football player is not necessarily going to be more, in my opinion, more predisposed to domestic violence because he plays football. I think it's because there's certain patterns of behavior that that person was exposed to that makes them more likely to batter. And so if, if I grew up and I saw my mom abuse my dad or my dad abuse my mom, I'm learning something. I'm learning that I don't ever want to do that or that that is the way to do it. And, and everything in between. And so you can't blame the National Football League, the Pee Wee Football League, or anything in between on what happens. There's, there's this whole argument about trained to be violent in football. I, I think there's a piece of that, that that's very apropos, but I know tons of people that are trained to be violent in football that are gentle giants off the field. So they, they've been able to transfer, hey, this is a game. You, you get to beat people up inside the lines, but you have to, you know, purport uh, a certain type of behavior when you're outside the line. So the, 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 not, the leagues are doing what they can, uh, but they're in the entertainment business. So the, the, the business model is to entertain if someone inside of their, their employee system, you know, has a problem, there's resources there for it. But, uh, you know, I want to be careful not to make the world think that it is an uh, a for-profit entertainment brand has the responsibility to take on something like this by itself. No, they, not, have a, they have a role to play, but they're not the only one that should be responsible here. 
Yeah, no, and I agree with you, Guy. And, uh, you know, something was said to me many years ago, and I, and I make a habit of repeating it here on this show uh, because it was said to me by a great baseball player, uh, Gary Maddox, who was a baseball player for the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. Gary said to me one day, he said we were out hitting some golf balls, and he said uh, in our conversation, he said, Ray, you know, athletes need role models too. And uh, I will never forget that. And, and I, I bring that into this conversation because uh, as many times as we may be called to be role models, there are, we need people to play a role in our life to show us, you know, how to handle conflict resolution, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife and how to be a responsible individual and know that violence is not always the way when we're on the football field. We're being taught to be violent on the football field. That's not anything that they ask you to take that home and to, you know, we always, you and I always talk about transferable skills. That's not a skill set that they've asked you to take that home to implement that violent act in your household. So you're exactly right. You know, athletes are here uh, to, to, to provide entertainment, and that entertainment is on the football field. And I agree that they should not be held uh, accountable and be the sole person to go out and advocate against domestic violence. This would be something. It takes a village to raise a child, and the entire village should partake in this to rid this this world of, of domestic violence. You know, and not just. Right, right. I, I don't mean to jump in, but you, you hit a, a word that that it strikes a chord with me, and because and, I think I think it's sort of. Uh, oversimplified sometimes, and it's the word violent. Right. And I, I played football through my collegiate years, and, and, and so I, I, I never once have I ever heard a coach rep the word violent. Now, I've heard violent. I've heard strike him. I heard be aggressive. I heard punish him. But, but to, to, to leap all the way to violence, is really sensationalism in my mind. The football, no doubt, it's a contact sport. It's an aggressive game, uh, but but violence has a different connotation to me because I've seen people on the football field knock the hell out of somebody and pick them up, mm-hmm. and so that's not violence. Violence, you know, by definition, is much more extreme, and your your aim is to do something that will, will, will cause permanent damage. Uh, and so it is an aggressive game. It can't, there are elements of violence that, that seep in sometimes. You know, rage and anger seep in sometimes. But, but by definition, I don't think the game was made to be violent. I think it has turned into a a way to market, sell, and promote, and make money. But I don't think football players are trained to be violent. I think they're trained to be aggressive, hard-nosed, compete at the highest level, mono-e-mono, alpha male. But it doesn't, it doesn't go to the point where I really want you to lay on the field and not get up. Yeah, and I agree with you on that, Guy. You know, you're right. And that's not what athletes, we know we're not out there trying to injure one another. Now, I'm not going to say we're not trying to hurt you, but we're not trying to injure you to the point where you can't perform. So I I agree with you. Listen, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back because on the other side, we're going to start talking about the player networking event. And also, John St. New is going to join us. I've been talking about John the entire broadcast here. He's the CEO of ICL Reebok. 
So we're going to take a break. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix. Living like it matters. Going to take a short break and come right back real fast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You may not know all their names, but you certainly know what they did. They helped make this game into what it is today. Now we can do more to help them. The NFL Alumni Association is proud to assist our retired players to help make their lives better today and tomorrow. To learn more, please visit NFLalumni.org. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the 3 is very much the one to beat. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins next week, I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Right, you hear the music, you know the show. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. Got my good friend Guy Troop with me. Uh, Guy is the CEO of Troop 21. Uh, Troop 21, of course, has been uh, the, the host, producer, owner of the Player Networking event, uh, which is held every year at the Super Bowl for the last, what is this going to be, the 14th or 15th year, Guy? It's the 13th annual. Oh, 13th annual. My bad. See, I'm already see. I'm I'm up to 15 because 15 will put you here in Phoenix, and I'm thinking that far ahead already. But uh, <laughs> if you will, guys, listen, I always I, I brag about the Player Network event so much, but what I like to do is I, I like to get it straight from uh, the head honcho, you know, the man whose vision it was based upon you spending many years at the National Football League and understanding that there was an opportunity of which the players who attend the Super Bowl, they don't just have to party all the time. They, too, can, you know, take the opportunity to do some networking like corporate world does. Everybody who's at the Super Bowl, the majority of those people that are there, not all of them there are just to enjoy the game and to party. They're there to make some deals and create some opportunities for themselves, and I believe you saw that as an opportunity for uh, players as well. So why don't you give an overview, because there are a lot of people who are listening to our show for the first time, and then John is going to join us, believe this or not, and you won't know it unless I tell you, John is a former athlete, former coach, 
And he now, of course, is doing great work with the Reebok team. But he at one time in his life had to transition, had been working with a lot of young men and trying to help them in their transition by providing opportunities for employment even nowadays. So, so Guy, let's talk a little bit about the Player Networking event. It was a vision that you had, as you said, it started 13 years ago, so it obviously had to be 13 or more years ago. And, and, and tell us some of the uh, things that have happened since then and, and what we plan on doing and where we plan on being this year. Well, when I worked as the uh, Senior Director of Player and Employee Development for the National Football League, uh, I was fortunate enough to be invited to the Super Bowl every year, and I got the chance to expose my friends and family to the to the festivities and 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 all that is uh, a part of of the weekend. And and I was walking down the street one day, and I just saw the disposable income. I saw the passion around the the event, and then it started to really research the economic impact that the Super Bowl has on communities. And, and it just hit me that players were not taking advantage of of the of the event. That corporate CEOs, fans who love them, other players, party promoters, event planners, doctors, lawyers, you know, fans were all converging to watch two teams play. But there are 1,900 players in the National Football League that could benefit from the millions that came to town. So the vision was to create a networking event where players could connect with corporate executives and hopefully develop a relationship that would last a lifetime. So over the course of the last 13 years, this event has morphed into several things uh, with the support of the National Football League, the Players Association, the NFL alumni over the years. We tried various kinds of things, uh, but what it is is a, I like to call it a cross between a career fair and a happy hour, where we expose players to corporate executives and we promote player-owned and operated businesses, and really try to teach players how to conduct themselves off the field, so that role model that's out there that understands business attire may be able to teach a rookie. So a veteran of seven years or a retired player like Ray Ellis might be able to teach a young player how to dress, how to speak, what to do, uh, so that one day he can maybe become the next Magic Johnson. Um, hey, hey, guys, it's interesting you say that. 300 players are cut, released from the National Football League, so there's a void. What will I do when I, when I no longer get a call our hope is that the player networking event will serve as a net for that group uh, and and the, the the number of former players that are looking for opportunity and need some support. Guy, it's interesting you, you, you mentioned a, a couple things there that I think that are extremely important. One of them I, I want to dig a little deeper into it is that's teaching. Now, you know, many times there are seasoned executives that, that work in America that, that find themselves in a position that they have to, uh, you know, if you will, rebrand themselves. They, they have to remake themselves. Uh, they, too, are in a transitional. I mean, you, when it comes to a player who has been, you know, a magnet many times for people to come to him, uh, he has to be taught how to go into a room and work a room. Am I correct about that? Uh, without a doubt, and, and some players have, have learned that art back in high school or college, but there's a different set of rules 
in corporate America. So, you know, the, the funny athlete joke may not go over well with a corporate CEO. Uh, the the four-button or five-button suit is not appropriate for a corporate setting. Uh, the fashionable gator shoes look a little too flashy for a conservative financial services culture. And so all of those things, are the, the, the player networking event, which we shortened to call it P&E as the acronym, the P&E is really designed as a, as a laboratory where our staff can watch players make, make successful plays, and we, and we can watch them fail. And when we watch them fail, we're going to teach them how to fail forward. Well, I'll tell you what, you mentioned shoes, and I'll tell you what, I don't think Reebok has any gators, but Reebok has some nice <laughs> merchandise. And so with that, I'm going to, you know, turn the mic over, if you will, to our good friend John St. New out there in California, who's the CEO of ICL Reebok team. And, uh, Guy, you stay with us. Uh, but, John, how are things in California? How are you doing today? Oh, fantastic. First of all, I just want to thank you, Ray and, and, and Guy, for allowing me to be with you guys as a special guest on Voice America uh, wonderful opportunity, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to contribute in any way that I can. Well, you're going to contribute, uh, you know, a, a lot here today, John, because you yourself, uh, and I want you to tell people a little bit about your background, you, a former athlete who, who became a coach, who's now working in, in corporate America, but this, this whole thing about transition, and, and we're going to get back to that, but, but you did some of that, and, and, and if you will, talk to us a little bit about your career as a basketball player, then as a coach, and, and then going out into corporate America, you know, that, that's something that we're trying to help other players understand that they could be successful, you know, off the court just as they were on the court. Well, you know, you, we talked about this uh, several times, Ray, you know, as an athlete, and, and I'm sure Guy's going to be able to, to attest to this as well as all the listeners. You know, it starts like at a relatively young age. You become passionate about something. You find out that that's why you're waking up in the morning. And you become very persistent at it. And, and you know, for whatever form or fashion, that becomes your life. You are dedicated to that craft. And you start doing that, and, you're, you're, you know, you've got a goal in mind, and you want to be the best at something. And that, that's exactly what I did. You know, I learned at a relatively early age this is something I wanted to do. I didn't know where I was going to – what it was going to do for me. I just knew that I wanted to use that ball as a tool to get my education. And – you know, I and then I get into the University of California, and 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 I do. I'm I'm actually stunned that I'm there. I'm having a great opportunity, and I just keep on focusing. And I I meet people along the way that changed my habit. Uh, from, you know, you all along the way as part of this discussion we talked about. It takes a village. Boy, for an athlete, he's been touched by many people. Whether it's a former athlete, whether it's a, a colleague another coach, a parent. You never know where the influence is going to come from. And in my case, I was lucky along the way to meet players that guided me, took me under their wing, showed me how to train a different new way, coaches along the way that did the same. And, uh, you know, I, I, in 1985, 86, I led the country in scoring. That opened up a tremendous new window of opportunities for me when I became a first-year professional athlete. I get I get a, a shoe endorsement. I get that first lucky break that a lot of athletes just don't get. And, uh, 
it opened up a new a new world for me. I go to Barcelona, Spain. I play there, have a have a great career. And after my four years, you know, I come back to to Mexico in my fourth or fifth season. You know, travel back then just wasn't in an airplane; it was in a bus. And you know, I just thought, I think I'm done. I think I've I've accomplished all that I wanted to do, and in that game. And now what? You know that. That's kind of like the theory. You kind of go back, and you don't know exactly what's the next step. And, um, you know, in, in my case, you know, I attended law school. I figured that would be my, my next avenue. And, boy, I found out first that first year that that was not what I wanted to do. That's not where passion was, was, was residing in me. And my former coaches guided me into becoming a high school coach. And, uh, boy, I took, I took full advantage of that, had an un- unbelievable, unique experience. And again, that led me into more opportunities, but all along the way, now I had to take and transform. Just because an athlete is pretty good at something doesn't mean he can teach it. And so, uh, you know, I had to shift directions into how to teach things now. I looked at it from a completely different angle, uh, whereas, you know, myself as a basketball player was concerned about how I was performing. <clears throat> now as a coach, boy, I was, I was concerned about everything how the kid was that day did he eat how was he doing in school what's his life like socially academically outside because all that was going to matter how i was going to put that together in the team format and uh and you know it just led me into a new direction and therefore then i go to high school i'm very lucky i I get a great group of kids that, that work hard for me and we win a cif title here in california then uh then I get that unique call. I go, you know, to, to go into the Pac-10, and that opened up a new world for me. Again, just using basketball as an opportunity. Uh, I was very lucky. Got into the Pac-10. Got to understand and appreciate really what the business was about basketball. Now, most of the time in a high school setting, it's 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 the uh, it's pure. You know, you're you're competing against your rival schools. But you know, when we when we touch touched upon the Pac-10, that, that turned into the business side of uh, ticket sales, alumni relations, recruiting, uh, you name it. And uh, then from there, you know, I was fortunate enough to move into the professional coaching, and that moved me outside of the United States and into a whole new pressure cooker. Um, you know, Guy talked about it, and I'm sure you, you're well aware of it too, Ray. You know, the, the pressure of winning, you know, outside of the United States, boy, people wanted to win uh, yesterday, you know, they they think that every game is the is the title, and there's really no flexibility because you know I was an American coach coming across, and uh, you know everyone wants to win uh, all of the games, and uh, so sometimes you know we had to you have to you have to kind of guide them along that way, and so you know it, it's just been a unique ride for me, and I completely understand what the player networking event is all about because you have to shift constantly uh from that player into your next into your next and into your next job you know and it, it, it's consistently going to be that way hey guy i, I want to ask you a question there obviously you got a you got you know you played ball there in college uh of course john and myself we both played ball in college uh, there are a lot of college athletes that perhaps maybe never make it into pro football many of them don't even get that chance but let's just talk about those that do get the chance 
and, I, and I'm asking a question just for those fans out there that might be listening, you know, listening to the show. They're fans of football, not necessarily. Certainly mine, I don't have any fans. But this question of the amount of confidence that one has when you put him on that basketball court or when you put him on that football field and that coach thinks that his team, uh, he certainly can bring, uh, you know, some talent out of his, his players that may have been deep down inside of them and never revealed itself. But for this game, he can get them up and they can beat anybody. Does the player have that same type of confidence when he puts that suit and tie on, he walks into corporate America based upon the research and the time you've spent with these athletes? Uh, I think it it uh, the the broad answer is no. And why would that be, guy? If you can help us understand, why would there be a lack of confidence? Because I'm sure everybody thinks, oh, they're cocky, they're arrogant, they think they can do everything. Well, Ray, you were you were a defensive back, so let me let me use a football example. If you were to put a 42 year old, six two, four hundred, three hundred pound man on the corner to cover Jerry Rice, do you think he'd have confidence that he could cover Jerry Rice? Not going to happen. And so because Jerry Rice has run thousands of post routes and and Jerry Rice has caught thousands of passes and Jerry Rice has developed a skill set, and so the, the, the college athlete in transition or the pro athlete in transition, their growth has been retarded because they have focused more on the repetitions to become skilled at a position in sport than they have focused on being skilled as an attorney in John's case uh, early on or your case as a journalist. So it's, it's, it's all about the repetitions. The repetition builds the confidence. Well, guys, let me actually, and I, 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 I hear that. But, you know, how are these guys expected to get these repetitions? Because, you know, that's one right reason why I was extremely confident when I would line up against a Jerry Rice or whomever else I was, because I had the repetition. I watched him in film. I knew what he was going to do. I knew what to expect from Joe Montana and stuff like that. If the players, where do they get their repetitions from? Well, there there are tons of role models out there, but the game moves so fast that it's hard to grab onto one. i you know, I grew up in the state of Oklahoma, so I can give you an example. Oklahoma State's football program has grown immensely. Uh, if I was a freshman at Oklahoma State, I would I would try to meet Mr. T. Boone Pickens, and I would try to get some reps for how he talks, how he dresses, how he approaches people in social settings, what he says to our team when he's around, how he engages with our head football coach, because if I can learn from T. Boone Pickens, if I impress T. Boone Pickens in this case, then then I've got a shot at a great career in something. Okay, uh, let me turn uh, turn back to John. John, former yeah. athlete, you know, former pro player, you know, former coach. Uh, now you're in in the business of corporate America. I want you to talk a little bit about your product, and let me ask you this: Are you are you able, or are you guys interested? In, in working with former professional athletes, because you know exactly some of those intangible skill sets that they have in terms of those, those qualities of which, you know, exemplify on the football field that those skills can be transferred into corporate America. Is, is an athlete have some of the skill sets that you're looking for? And, and if, they, if they do, please let us know. But, and tell us a little bit about uh, the product that you sell as well. Oh, yeah, without without question. I mean, I think that's probably one of the strongest points that I bring to the table. You know, 
really, in a, in a nutshell, what I'm offering, you know, as, as, the, as the newly named CEO of, of the Interscholastic Licensing Company, which is the licensing arm of Reebok Team, is to co-brand along with a name brand product like Reebok. And you get a, a tr- what's called a true partnership. Many, many people out there, you know, initially the programs and, and, and Reebok, as well as other apparel companies, were, you know, they're, they're out in retail and they sell products, but they're not really truly getting to the grassroots. And that's really what I was trying to do. I'm trying to help teams, individuals, not only domestically, but in, internationally, with the purchasing, branding, and also the very key part of sharing in the revenue with cash, with real money. I mean, it, you know, I noticed in the last four or five years, you know, there, there, have, there are many programs. And within a 30-mile radius of wherever you live, you probably have noticed a, a deterioration of certain, certain sports. Something has gone on. Whether you're a parent on the phone right now or on the radio listening, you're, you know that somehow, some way, you're going to be asked somehow to contribute to your son or daughter's uh, educational experience. There's only so many car washes that someone can do. There's only so many of that. And getting back to, to what we're doing here, the professional athlete is, is the shoes that I walked in. I, understood, I understand my impact. I, I understand my likeness. I understand this model. I know because I have to wear this product. I know exactly what it is. And, and everybody in all walks of life is going to wear something from head to toe. There's no closet that you look at that doesn't have some product. But how could they benefit from that? You know, they can, they can contribute. A professional athlete has impact. He, he can go to any school. And almost every one of us, Ray, Guy, you guys both know that we all had to do some sort of a guest speaking, uh, whether it was part of NBA Cares or NFL uh, community, or some sort of a network where you had to go back to a school and talk. Well, we got about 30 school, seconds there, John. You got 30 seconds. Well, you know they loved it, but really what they were looking for was some money. And, and in this particular case, what you can do, you know, and I give these athletes the ability to get back to that school, an opportunity for them to generate revenue, and I compensate the athletes for that. And, uh, you know, it's a win-win for everyone, and it doesn't take them out of their comfort zone. They already know what the product is, how to do it and I can help their lives with whatever other activities they want to do. Okay. Hey, John, why don't you give them a, web- a website real fast where they perhaps maybe can go and take a look at your website and a number or something where, they- where folks could reach you. Oh, sure. You can, you can definitely take a look at www.ilcnetwork.com, and uh, you can always reach me at area code 714-234-9858. All right. Hey, I really appreciate that. Of course, that was John St. New. He's the CEO of ICL Reebok Team. Hey, Guy, real quick, player networking event in, in New Orleans this year. Where are we going to be at? What time? What day? Saturday, February 2nd, 2 to 6 p.m. at the Sheridan New Orleans Hotel, 500 Canal Street. Uh, you can go to troop21.com and go to the events tab or the player networking uh, event tab and find out uh, information about the event, sponsorship information, corporate opportunity forms, or player interest forms there. 
Okay, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm going to have these gentlemen back. We didn't, we didn't have enough time. There's a lot more information we need to share. So be sure that you join me back here at Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network, where I'm in Phoenix living like it matters. I want to thank my good friend Guy Troop from Troop 21, host of the Player Networking Event 2013 in New Orleans, and John St. New, CEO of IC, I'm sorry, ILC Reebok Team. You've been listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'll see you next time, which will be the best time. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.